All right, y'all. Before we begin, of course, in true Angelina fashion, cheers. I feel like this question of whether or not aesthetics has any purpose isn't a new question. What actually inspired this episode was this video that I saw where Angela Davis was talking about the way our prison systems look. She's bringing up the example of concrete walls and the barbed wires and how this communicates immutability and permanence. Because of the visual culture surrounding prisons, it also shapes the way we view prisons ideologically. And so she was saying that it takes a great deal of imagination to actually remove these types of structures, which have become so normalized in the society. Because they have become so normalized, it's like in seeing them, we don't see them. And so she went on to say how one of the main goals for prison abolitionists is to actually make prisons visible, to bring them out of the background and out of this visual frame of our society. As with this whole mini series, all the sources will be linked in the episode description. And I really suggest go watching the entire online event. So the next night I watched this video where Sylvia Federici was talking about how the more exploitative a structure is, the more you have to hide it in a capitalistic society. She was saying this in reference to how the exploitation of women's labor in raising the next generation of the laboring class is hidden behind the home. And then I connected two and two and started to think, now how else can we become visible in a society that tries to make us invisible? And then so, here we go. This is where we begin. I started thinking into myself, like we can make ourselves visible through clothing, through fashion. And then I started going further thinking about any body modifications like piercings and tattoos and your hair. And you go further to your gender expression and sexuality. And I really realize now how our identities are political. If your identity does not conform to whiteness in any way, you are considered deviant in a white supremacist, patriarchal, what is, how do you say the word? Patriarchal society. I also want to say there is so much more to be said about every single thing that I talk about in this mini series. And I feel like I'm definitely just like dipping my toes in like the beginner. I feel like the page. And I feel like some of it may be rudimentary to some people who have been thinking in this space for longer. And so I really do hope that I spark something in even more people's minds to start to view things in completely different ways. It's always nice to have that humility not just in political growth, but also spiritual growth. There's like always something new to learn. And it just reminds me that it's so important to stay curious. Okay, anyways, back to the topic. 
I recently found out this clothing company called Rebirth Garments. Actually, in search for a hint, hint, another surprise project from yours truly, Angelina. So definitely stay tuned because that is also coming out in September. So this company is called Rebirth Garments. The founder, Sky Kubaku, makes clothing specifically for LGBTQ and disabled people. And I just recently bought their zine called Radical Visibility, a queer crip dress reform movement manifesto. I just like admire and love everything that this company is doing because, yeah, it's exactly how I imagine revolutionary fashion to look like. This is their Rebirth Garments current recommended approach to being radically visible. And they even begin with noting the word current because you have to continuously adapt, continue changing with the times in order to not be engulfed by mainstream culture. Because then once you're in the mainstream, then you're not visible anymore. You're not different than the dominant culture. So I really feel like just that value of change that's embedded in this company is so necessary. Like we, we know this, like change and innovation, like you'll hear fucking Apple say we need innovation, innovation is important. But now it's like innovation in a human sense, not just innovation in like getting better technologically, like humans are constantly changing. And so our structures and our society needs to change as we change as people. And now this is what you're seeing today. I feel like a lot of people now are really clearly seeing the fall of capitalism happened right before their eyes. However, that means that us as humans are also evolving. We're innovating ourselves, basically. We've outgrown it. We've evolved past the need for capitalism. It's tired, you know? <laughs> like, it cannot continue this way. And so I think that spirit is, is so revolutionary in and of itself. And so some of the things that they know is using fantastically bright colors. And they talk about how in Western culture, color has been oppressed due to its connection with emotion. And then I feel like you can also tie that into anti-blackness. So they quote David Batchelor in his book, Chromophobia, how color is made out to be the property of some foreign body usually the feminine, the oriental, the primitive, the infantile, the vulgar, the queer, or the pathological. I feel like I'm reading this to you straight from the website, but it's just so interesting and it's so informative. It really taught me a lot of things that I didn't know before. Another thing that they incorporate is exuberant geometry and they reference the triangle, which is encouraged to represent the effort to triangulate and subvert the binary. It's kind of like you have the two points and the third point stabs the line between them. Is that the is that how that goes? That's kind of like the idea that queerness at the end of the day is not supposed to exist anymore. Because if we're all 
if we're all just eventually whatever we are, then that's the norm. There is no need to be queer anymore because we're all queer. Please, please, please correct me if I'm wrong. And also, sometimes I I don't really know if I'm overstepping and like speaking for a community that I don't belong to or identify with. So please, I'd love to hear everyone's feedback for this whole mini series. Anyways, so Sky also hosts fashion performances. And I watched one of the videos on the website and it is just truly the most accepting and welcoming space. Like I felt that energy through a recording of a live event through a screen. It really was a celebration of just being who you are. These people, they just absolutely looked so at home in their own skin. And that's really what I wish for our new world to look like. And it was really cool because in the music that they were playing, they were also giving audio descriptions of the movements of each person and their outfits. And another important thing that Sky made sure to do was to have each person write how they want to be described on the song. Their whole idea about radical visibility is, it's so empowering and it's so just beautiful. It's like fun. It's like joyful and lively. So yeah, please go check out their work and go support their business. And then I also listened to this other podcast episode from Slash Queer, and it was really interesting because they were talking about the leather community and even just the significance of leather from its physicality to the act of putting it on really is a symbol of their protection. It's their armor. We can see so clearly in this example that the external really can shape the internal, like your own self-beliefs, how others think about you, and in turn, how you think about yourself. See, so like aesthetics really do make such a difference. I like have a song in my head now that I edited my singing out of this because that would have been really embarrassing. But I was singing Good Puss by Cobra. I'm also sharing a Spotify playlist that I made just for the songs that inspired this mini series and really marked this entire project. It's such a good song, y'all. Go listen to it. It really like makes me want to, ew, I hate like saying this, but like bring out my sexual side and not hate to say it. It just like, I don't know. I don't like, the, like, you know, how, like however you say that cooler. Like it just like makes me feel myself. There we go. What I'm thinking now is like part of me does not want to be seen in a sexual way. And I think that is just because of the violence and harm that I've received because mostly men look at me in that light. And it's like, I want to own my sexuality, but I'm almost ashamed of expressing my sexual being because I don't want violence from men. But another part of me is like, why should I care? 
like I should just do whatever the fuck I want, but that's hard to do if you're always being constantly sexually preyed on. And it reminds me of this podcast episode from the Millennials Are Killing Capitalism podcast. And so Deshaun Harrison was talking about their perspective on pretty privilege and how it goes deeper than just pretty people getting free drinks at a bar. And so their whole point about pretty privilege was that nobody wins from beauty and desire. Nobody wins from desirability politics because the most beautiful and the most desired in this society become hyper-visible. This whole sentiment that I was feeling about not being comfortable expressing my sexuality, I think, relates to that because under cishet patriarchy, becoming desired and and hyper-visible leaves you more susceptible to violence. And so, yeah, it's really important to keep in mind that while visibility can allow the most marginalized voices to finally be represented, it also makes you vulnerable to violence. I think what I want to talk about now is just the disabled community because one, I feel like when we talk about art, a lot of it is visual, especially when you think about museums. All of these thoughts now are coming from this other (laughs) podcast episode. Damn y'all, I remember the beginning of Allegedly, I never listened to any podcast and even while making season one, I still never did. And now Y'all, if you have like a specific interest podcast, such a good way to go. So I was watching this other podcast episode or listening to this other podcast episode from the Disability Visibility Project podcast. And they were talking about how the museum is in a lot of ways really just not accessible to everybody not financially accessible for everybody, just like in the idea of even going to a museum, because I feel like it's it's very white supremacist. There's this idea that you have to be well-educated and cultured. And honestly, that probably is purposeful. Are museums just institutions of white supremacy? Because I could very well see that. And I feel like I'm probably right. Yeah, so not only is it socioeconomically inaccessible, it's also inaccessible for a lot of people with disabilities because like in most places you can't touch the art. And so what does that mean for the experience of a blind person? In this interview, I remember another thing that was mentioned was seeing alt captions or alt descriptions as poetry. I think that's so beautiful. Like it's another opportunity for artists to express their creativity instead of writing alt descriptions to be something like laborious and boring. This is what I'm saying. This is what I was saying in the artist role episode. It really will take a lot of creativity to reimagine this world that is accessible for everybody. And like, again, to connect it back to Rebirth Garments, the lyrics of the songs played in the fashion performance serves as that alt description, but it's through song. 
And that's so beautiful. That is so cool. This is what I'm saying. The most marginalized are the most fucking creative. That is so creative. Dude, y'all, ugh. If you're white, I'm really, I feel bad for you. Honestly, it's not that I feel bad for you. It's just, damn, y'all, that's how you really think. Like, look at all the creative leadership and creative perspective marginalized people have. And so since we're talking about song, of course, how can you not talk about music? Music as a way to be seen. Okay, take hip hop. Perfect example. Started off as party music in response to the disco scene and sooner or later turned into political resistance. I was watching part of this docu-series on Netflix called Evolution of Hip Hop. And I haven't watched all of it. I've only seen a few episodes, but this episode was also inspired from watching that. So this was during the 80s, during the Reagan era, when crack cocaine was used to disproportionately criminalize the Black community. And so what they say is the first political hip-hop song is the message by Public Enemy. And yeah, it was a response to what was going on during this time. And so now that makes me think of where hip-hop has evolved to today. Surprise, surprise. I listened to another (laughs) podcast episode from the Groundings podcast. And I didn't realize that the Groundings podcast is hosted by Devin Springer, the person who wrote that Medium article from the Artist Role episode. And so what they were saying in the podcast was that even just the idea of the conscious rapper is basically socially constructed because they were bringing up the examples of like Kendrick and Beyonce having these quote unquote radical messages in in their albums and their songs but it's like they're also endorsed by the state and it's like how we always say the revolution will not be televised like these people if they truly had radical politics would not be in the position that they are in they would not be part of the capitalist class it also brings up this good question it's like As an artist, how much are you willing to risk? Again, once you become part of the mainstream, you're not radical anymore. You're not revolutionary anymore. That interview was also so good. Go check it out. I know some of y'all are going to hate me for saying this because a lot of you have really strong opinions on this person, but Heaven and Hell from Donda. It gave me chills, honestly, the first time that I listened to it because that's what I feel like a revolution sounds like to me. Something I want to add to from what I was saying from the first episode, it's like, I think it's important for artists to inspire, to incite hope in people. But I was having this conversation with Olivia and it's like, I feel like we're really past that point of having hope. How much more hope do we need? We don't need more hope. We need to change now. Now is the time. And when I listen to that song, it's like, yeah, now is the time. Like, it's actually like, it's getting to that point. 
I also feel like I saw a lot of Twitter discourse about the new Drake album. I feel like probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast also have seen this tweet from at SageBeatLove, S-A-G-E-B-E-A-T-L-O-V-E, and just go read it. And it's like, yeah, I really agree with that. It's everything that I was saying in the first episode. Honestly, I'm not going to go more into that. You can just listen to that episode. But yeah, I really realized that music is such an energetic experience. A lot of the songs on that Spotify playlist that I made for this mini series is like, like flowers. If you listen to that shit, first of all, I Love Pain by Pink Panthers. And so they sample that song in pain. It's say a clock in the morning. Sorry for my British accent. Anyways, sorry, I keep getting sidetracked. Because music is such an energetic transfer, it's made me definitely more conscious and intentional with what I choose to consume, as is everything, not just with music, but like every form of media, relationship, everything's energy. I'm like thinking about like Janae Aiko, how she puts like singing bowls into her music. And you just like feel it. Even like with good days, I literally also painted a painting. Oh my God, maybe I'll share that with you too. I'll also share that painting that I made while I literally listened to good days on repeat for three hours. And that's how I know that's going to be my song of the year. It's also interesting to this correlation between music and drugs One day I was high and I was listening to just like psychedelic music. They obviously call that for a reason. Like there's a whole genre for that for a reason because it just feels so good. It just like lends itself to a certain type of music. Yeah, and I feel like it's related to how hip hop is associated with weed. And if you look at the rates of mass incarceration of the black community, it's like, a higher proportion of them are criminalized for marijuana charges. And so I think it's so ironic how hip hop is positioned in our culture today. And I feel like that speaks to just how the state will always co-opt our shit. That's what they were saying in the Groundings podcast, like the revolutionary radical aspect of it becomes neutralized because of the way it is co-opted by the state. That's how you get the U.S. Army using astrology in their marketing. That's how you get Jay-Z and Beyonce wearing the blood diamond for Tiffany's. And so again, the question I ask is, as an artist, how much are you willing to risk for true revolutionary change? That's a hard question to deal with because not all of us have that privilege. And of course, how can you not mention No Name? That's who I would describe as a revolutionary artist, a cultural worker. Like hip hop needs to get its shit together, honestly. Honestly, with this episode, I feel like the person trying to connect all the pictures with Red String. That's like the beauty of connecting yourself to what you're truly passionate about. Now the world is endless. There's so many dots that you can connect, so many relationships between ideas that you can make. And to have that spirit in 
this collective rebuilding after the downfall of capitalism, it's like, that is such a beautiful process to work together to truly listen to one another, to hold space for everybody, especially the most underrepresented, for them to be seen and heard and valued in this society can lead to so many great things, y'all. Like, nah, 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 I'm not going to cry again. Our world is a mirror for ourselves. I think about it in the sense of my relationships. Like every single person you have a relationship with mirrors some part of you. And I really hope people can start to imagine what our world would look like if we could all mirror each other, if we can all see ourselves in one another. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like this episode, please consider leaving us a tip or becoming a monthly donor so we can keep making new content for you all. The links for that will be in the episode description. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to stay connected and for even more Allegedly content. Our handle for all social media is at we said Allegedly. Lastly, if you have something to say, we want to hear it. Keep the conversation going by leaving us a voice message with the link in the episode description. See you all next time.